Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode, we have a very special guest to present to you. He is the CEO of Trulio, an identity verification business based right here in British Columbia. Earlier this year, they raised funding at a $1.75 billion valuation. Our conversation covers their unique unicorn status, their CEO's management strategies, and a whole lot more. Our conversation starts now. Hi, Steve Munford here. I'm the CEO of Trulio. Uh, we are identity an uh, identity company. So we help uh, companies uh, establish trust between new users coming onto their platforms based here in Vancouver. Awesome, Steve. Well, it's awesome to have you here. I've been looking forward to this for a while. And I'm wondering to jump things off, if you can tell me a little bit about the problems that Trulio helps solve for its customers. I think there's just a lack of knowledge about kind of a lot of the web security and, and identity verification stuff. So if you can kind of flush that out. Sure. First of all, if you imagine how you used to establish your identity with a bank traditionally, you'd, if you're going to open up a bank account, you'd walk into a bank and you would say, hey, I'm Steve Munford. Here's two pieces of ID. And they would take pictures, photocopies of those two pieces of ID. And by doing so, they establish a few things. One, hey, you're a resident of Canada. You're a real person. You're, you're someone that I can physically see and 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 now i could start to establish trust and now i'm going to allow you to open up the bank account and similar processes happen when you got a credit card or got a loan or or maybe even open up a or did some financial trading with your stock market now if you fast forward today and, and this has really accelerated over the last two years is a lot of that's being done digitally and 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 so how do you replicate those processes of establishing trust verifying the individual when you're no longer seen in person. And that's the problem that we solve for. So how do you establish trust? How do you, how do you determine, is this a person I want to do business with when you can't see them in person? And the challenges that companies have is, is yes, doing it and maybe doing it in Canada. But if you're a digital first, you know, new emerging fintech company, you want to operate on a global scale. How do you do that across hundreds of countries? And, and that's the platform that we built. So we help um, some of the biggest brands out there uh, do their, you know, kind of automate their onboarding process of new customers across 195 countries. Wow. That is very cool. Well, I'm excited to dig into some of the growth you guys have experienced in a little bit here, but I'm wondering if, if I can press you on the, some of the specific things that you guys do going through the site. I see a couple of things, ID verification, document verification, business AML, watch list, et cetera. Can you give a little bit more detail on kind of how those are different? Like do different industries use a different grouping of those services or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the kind of the um, KYC, know your customer, that's about establishing trust and the identity of a individual. And, and you can do that by you submitting a bunch of information on the form and me verifying that information by pinging a bunch of different legitimate and, and reputable data sources to come back and say, hey, based on this credit agency or this government record, you're a real person and the information that you submitted kind of matches that. So that's getting to know an individual. There's another way of doing that, which is sometime added to this, this what we do is what's called document verification. And everyone's seen this where you, you, you do a selfie, you maybe upload a, a document that has your picture on it, and they kind of correlate that selfie and that picture. And then again, the address maybe on that document 
against our database. So that's kind of like you have this database check and then you have a document check, all about establishing trust with an individual. Now the KYB product or know your business product is similar, but it's about a business entity. And the complexity about a business entity is you, is you want to, you know, is that a real company? Does that company exist? And then who actually owns that company? And where is that a com company truly a resident of? So I don't know if you follow the Reddit, you know, about the Panama Papers or the Paradise Papers about all these challenges with tracking money movements behind the, these entities that can be, exist in multiple different places. That's, you know, that's kind of resulted in a bunch of regulations around any money, anti money laundering, um, uh, an ultimate beneficial owner. Also, that when the so much of the global commerce happens digitally in transporter, how do you have a record where that money is moving for transparency reasons? And again, that's you know your business product. Okay. Awesome, Bill. That is, yeah, it's a powerful database. I'd imagine quite a bit of legwork to kind of get all of that up and running. Um, but in, so you mentioned earlier on you're in 195 countries. Um, I'm wondering if you're seeing kind of growth from any kind of particular verticals. You, on the site, I saw cryptocurrency, you mentioned fintech startups. Are you evenly split across the board in terms of the, the segments you serve or where, where are you at with that? Yeah, we, we, we you know, overall our growth is largely fueled by kind of new emerging, emerging um, digital disruptive platforms. So that could be in crypto, which, you know, there's a lot of, been a lot of activity of crypto. And I would say this broad talk, topic about democratizing financial products. So crypto being one, and then you have all the online tra trading platforms. Everyone's familiar with like Robinhood and all those types of folks. And then you have um, marketplaces, which has been a really big growth area. So think about every marketplace has to have the trust between the seller, which is often a business and a buyer. And again, we're, we're weaved into all the major marketplaces that operate on a, on a global scale. Other areas like uh, uh, financial payments um, and the movement of money is a big area of, fo of focus for us. Um, let me see, a little bit in gambling, but it's not a big area of, or think how do you establish someone who wants to do a little bit of sports betting? We do a little bit of that. And then, uh, well, those are the major ones. So is the majority of your customers within North America? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting question because I, I get that a lot. So where are your customers? Are they in Europe or the U.S.? And, and that's actually a really odd, it's almost odd in this world today because do you mean physically where are they or where are they doing business, which are often two different things. And, and um, so the interesting stat, if I look across their top 30 customers, um, they're doing business with us in on average 30 countries. So we're seeing them doing business in us in China is a big market all the European unions, which have a lot of regulations driving a lot of what they need to do. Certainly North America, South America, and Brazil is a growing market for us. So if you look at the global GDP, we, we our customers and our transactions tend to map that, but a real predominance of, you know, people transacting or using our services, you know, outside of North America, especially, I would say that's where we really shine. You mentioned kind of, you're working with some of these, these top global brands. Do you see opportunity or focus on trying to like on smaller businesses? Is there opportunities uh, for smaller businesses to kind of leverage your platforms? We, we actually have a very active um, team that supports um, up and coming businesses because many of our large customers were one day small customers. So we, you know, if you think about, you know, all the people starting up and maybe they're starting up some kind of play around cryptocurrencies, a trading platform or, or, or something to augment the value chain in, in the crypto market, 
It can be a specialized online trading platform for a certain type of, of exchanges or something like that. So we're seeing like just, you know, the whole fintech market is exploding. And each one of those, those people that is trying to start up a, a, a company to do something disruptive needs a partner for the identity piece. So we, we, we're seeing all sorts of small companies with new ideas, well-funded, start out all across the world. And we're often their, their first stop for doing KYC or KYB or that, that identity process, that compliance process. And then the wonderful thing about us, is, which makes us quite special, as they grow, we grow. We're paid on a per transaction basis. So our success is ultimately linked to our customers bringing in more new customers. So one of the, the real tailwinds we have is that early on, we've partnered with some of the most disruptive companies across their different verticals. And, they, and we're seeing their explosion of growth. And that all supports our growth. Awesome. Well, very cool. I appreciate you giving some clarity to that because I think there's just there's a lot of a lack of knowledge. You hear these big terms about you know cryptocurrency and exchanges and all that, but what's actually firing and, and building the trust so that they're reliable. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about the unicorn status side of things. It's uh, something that you see in the news and it's, you know, I, I hope I'm getting this right, but roughly a billion dollar valuation. It's very cool to see, especially for British Columbia. Um, wondering if you can speak to a little bit about what you attribute to driving the value of the business to, to such a significant number uh, at this stage. Yeah. And, and I'll, maybe I'll come back to it if you have time, but I, I don't like the term unicorn. It's, uh, yeah. Cause unicorns, kind of this kind of notion that it doesn't exist so they're not very plentiful. Okay. And, and certainly what you alluded to, which is we're seeing lots of companies in BC with the north of a billion dollar valuation. And I think we were, our last funding, which was last June, was was over $2 billion. So maybe, are we two unicorns? I don't know. It's, it's going to kind of loses its sizzle. Um, but I, I, um, I, I think what put that valuation on us is, is really uh, two things. One is we've got a, a very differentiated platform and, you know, I'm Canadian and we tend not to brag, but for what we do, we are the best in the world. And, and so I always say if given perfect choice or customers will always choose us. And, and, and so strong platform. And you mentioned earlier, it takes a lot of legwork to build this platform. It, it has like over 10 years. And, and so that strong platform with, you know, a lot of moats around it makes us somewhat unique. And then secondly, if you believe that all of commerce will be done digitally one day or, or commerce and services, the key to that is establishment of trust. And if, if we can be the platform leader for that, I mean, it's a huge market. And, and so great product, huge opportunity. People kind of lean in with evaluation. I think that the thing that I find really exciting when you see companies raise dollars from reputable investors at that valuation, you know, it means that also the investors really see the opportunity and believe that there's a capability within that company to scale, to do great things. You know, someone that invests and in our case, they invested right around $500 million Canadian. When they invest that much money, those guys expect you to get a three, four, five, six times return their, their money. So if they invest that money, they expect us to be a $8 billion or $10 billion company one day, which means that they believe we can be a platform player in our industry here in Vancouver. So that I find incredibly exciting because before we really celebrated someone sold their company for close to a billion dollars or maybe a billion dollars. So it's certainly good for the investor ecosystem in, in, in British Columbia and Vancouver. 
But the bets that sophisticated investors are putting on Vancouver companies and their bet that we can be dominant in our respective industries, I mean, that really tells us the tech industry in BC has come to age, which is really exciting. Yeah, no, I, and I, I share your excitement. I think it's just tre- tremendous opportunity for job creation and all of the, the ancillary benefits there. Can you speak to a little bit about kind of how that has impacted or influenced how the organization has been built, whether it's access to talent or support from the government or infrastructure availability? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so, so a few things. I think basing a tech company in Canada has both advantages and challenges, right? I think within the BC community, there's, there's great talent. Uh, within the education system in BC, there's great you know, great education too. And then the graduates become, you know, early, early talent in the company. We participate in a lot of co-op programs, which are a real good source for us for people coming into the organization. So that's fantastic. The BC business and tech community is incredibly supportive. And, and, and so when you're getting a company off, off the ground and you're looking for initial funding, which a lot of our initial funding came from the BC community, you've got a really supportive investor basis dollars get recycled into the community the irap program to help support r&d it's a real accelerator on, on your ability to invest in product and technology which um is a long-standing piece of um the puzzle for canadian tech companies and which is fantastic but i think there becomes a time for every canadian and bc tech company that you start to you have to start to plant flags in other parts of the world that's to get close to customers to get talent, additional talent, additional pools of talent, senior talent to start augment the team that you have in Vancouver so that you can really scale to build global domination. So we've, over the last year and a half, we've, we've put offices in Dublin to support on the time zone of a lot of our European customers. We've put offices in San Diego and in Austin to support further investment in R&D and into sales. So, you know, I, I think we're, we are so proud that we're BC, but I would say we're even more proud that we're evolving to be a global platform and a global company with people around the world. That is so cool to hear. I really appreciate um, you flushing that out. Now, when I want to jump back a little bit. You, what stuck out to me was the confidence that you have in the platform. And, you know, like any other organization, you've got competitors. So I'm not going to name them or anything like that, but I just, I want to know how do you, when you're guiding your team, uh, maybe your P of sales, or how do you guys differentiating from uh, from them? Yeah, so so one of the ways, and this is going to sound very odd, but we we start our brand represents trust, right? So our customers are looking to us to help them support and build trust with new customers on their platform. It's a hard problem, and it's very nuanced, and it's very unique for every customer and every geography and every use case. So we, we really pride ourselves about when people approach us or we approach customers of understanding what they're trying to solve for and then tailoring or, or solution to meet their needs and then allowing them to influence our roadmap so that we continue to add capabilities based on what they're trying to do to support their business, support their growth, right? When we're looking to enter into a new market, it's really dictated by our customers are saying, listen, we really want to going to Turkey, we want to go to Vietnam, we need to figure out how we do identity in those markets. Julie, can you support us? And we partner with them and we do it. So first thing that I think differentiates us with anyone that plays around us is that whole, the way we approach solving the problem for our customers. Secondly, we are a global first company. Many of the solutions out there are US focused or UK focused or Canada focused. 
So the thing that I'm very comfortable about making us unique is we have the biggest global footprint of solving that 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 digital journey um, better than anyone else, and, and it's hard to do. But that said, like I would not be like there's a lot of investment coming into our space because of the prize. So there is emerging competitors and noise popping up all over the place. Every day there seems to be an overpriced, overhyped uh, competitor doing something around identity south of the border. So what's the saying? Only the paranoid survive. You know, we wake up every day and think about our competitors. We wake up every day relentless that we need to touch every potential customer before anyone else gets to them. So, so I guess we're confident, but we're, uh, we're, we're especially paranoid and we're running hard. I love it. Paranoia. I am <laughs> leading with paranoia. I'm sure that's a book title for somewhere down the road. Um, three to six months. What does that look like for, uh, for yourself and Trulia the next three to six months? Yeah, we are, um, you know, we, our core product is this KYC product. We, we are investing heavily in R and D to um, add additional capabilities to all our products and then building a, a platform that, orchestrates the workflow for identity. And so what you're going to see out of this in the next three or six months is, is fundamentally a bunch of innovation within the product. You're going to see a lot of hiring. So, so it's a combination of investing in the product, investing in go-to-market. Um, will we do another funding round? Not sure. You know, we may be acquisitive if we can find the right um, folks to join our platform. We certainly have a strong balance sheet. And uh, yeah, hopefully just us creating more noise in the marketplace. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing uh, seeing the growth that you guys are going to have there. I want to jump uh, as we get towards the end here about just a little bit about your professional background. Can you walk me through kind of the steps that have led you to this position within Trulio? Yeah, I, I think I started with a very traditional background in tech. I, I did a philosophy degree and then I <laughs> worked in the automotive industry. And then I, I kind of woke up one day thinking, uh, and, you know, software is, uh, is going to rule the world and I got to figure out a way to get into software and, and eventually did. And, and so back in 99, like everyone else, I joined a dot-com-ish type company and uh, lived that ride up and down. But eventually led to, we sold it to Sophos and uh, it's a UK-based security company back in 2003 and then went to the UK and uh, Helped, built and became CEO of that company. And then, uh, and then I've uh, been involved with a lot of other different software companies and different roles since then. So uh, I was kind of joking. I, I did not start as an engineer or a software engineer, but I, I guess I saw the opportunity and got a little lucky along the way. What stuck out about Trulio? What was the opportunity that, that really sold it for you? Yes, yeah, that's, that's, really, that's a really great question. Because I, I had gotten to know the founder of Trulio, Stephen Ufford, an amazing guy for the last couple of years. And I was introduced to him through a, a, a board member um, that we both um, know, knew quite well, Andrew Lugston in the community here. And, um, and I was just amazed at what he was building and his vision. And, and, but also even more so the challenges of doing identity and the opportunity if you could become a leader in it. So as he talked about the next chapter for him and the next chapter to, to truly you and began to think about a transition and bringing on board another CEO, uh, and, and then finally he asked me, hey, would you want to be that CEO? And I was like, hell yeah. Like, this is a lot of fun. And, and here in Vancouver, I don't have to travel to Boston and, and live in a different country. We can build a world-dominant platform right here. And I, I, I got really excited about that. How did you get into the security side 
of tech? Because there's, I, as I kind of looked at some of the companies that were in your, in your history, they're all kind of in a similar vein. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do think that's, um, I spent 20 years in InfoSec and, and we got there a bit accidentally, you know, back to that company, it was called Active State at the time that we joined, we were not doing security, but um, when our initial thing we're doing wasn't working out and we needed to figure out how to make money, we morphed into an anti-spam company, which then led me to Sophos, which is a security company. And, um, and security is a fascinating space, but it's interesting the difference between security and identity, what I do today. So security is about doing all this analysis and all this software and, and techniques and capabilities to stop a bad thing from happening, right? So that's what the whole security industry, all these adversary, your job is to protect the, the device or the individual using your product. We at, at Truly is all about facilitating a good thing to happen. So how do I do all these checkings, all these streamline supporting your onboarding process so you can get a customer on your platform and that customer can now access new products and services or do new things with, with your platform. That's a good thing. So similar attributes, similar kind of workflow. Uh, one is is looking for bad. The other one is to identify to allow for good. And um, yeah, and, and I think in tech, if you someone if you get specialized, then you you can add a lot of value. And that's what I found when I kept getting into security. Both are really fun problems to solve. So. It's, it's more enjoyable than building a marketing app in my mind or something like that. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I appreciate that. Leadership wise, since your time, I guess, as you've evolved for a leader, is there anything that sticks out to you about how you have approached, I think maybe team building, the management of your, of your team where, you know, it could be anything from, you know, you become more patient or, you know, there's some, some tactics that you've learned along the way. Does anything stick out there? Yeah, probably not becoming more patient. I, I think as you get older, you get less patient. But I, I, I would say I've, I've, I've gotten very crystallized on three values that are incredibly important for the organizations I run and the, and the teams, especially the, the teams that are, are, you know, I built to, to run the organizations. And, and it's open communication. It's operating with velocity and taking ownership. And I could go into a whole lot of detail about those, but I, I think the number one is open communication, like good or bad or be very, very transparent, be very, very clear with the company, with people that report to you and, and both on your expectations and how they're doing and, and also ensure that they're very clear back to you on, on how you're doing as a leader. And you can eliminate a lot of problems, a lot of politics and, uh, and, and build a lot of efficiencies if you just start with that open communication. Um, the second one maybe is, is velocity. I, I see a lot of startups, a lot of people going for speed Speed doesn't work unless you got direction. You'll just run around in circles. So that physics, you know, speed and direction, velocity. I think that's really, really important. And I think if you talk to Michael or anyone, all these people that we maybe know in common that have worked with me over the years, you'll see a consistency of those three things that I, I talk about quite a lot. Is there a highlight from your career prior to Trulio? Could be a, an exit, uh, some kind of a big project to be a part of, something like that. Moving from Vancouver, and I was this company we had to act state, we sold to Sophos, it was about 30 or 40 people. And then arriving in the UK and all of a sudden running a, a at the time, a 700 person company that was in the UK, a lot of success in Europe, but wanted to go global and arriving in a new country with my young family and then uh, embarking on that journey. What was absolutely a highlight. It was, it was incredibly rewarding to live in, in the UK and, and, and raise a lot of my, my family there. 
it was incredibly rewarding to do all the things I learned through M&A, through growth, through failed IPO, then eventual IPO. It was, it was just a, a wonderful journey there. And, and, and the people, the founders, the investors were, have all remained incredibly good friends. So that was very positive. Okay. No, that's awesome. Um, before I jump into these last four here, um, anything that I did not ask you that you wanted to cover? Um, no, I think you've been pretty, uh, maybe I'll come to me in a second, but I, I guess maybe a shout out for the community here in Vancouver. I, I just think we've got a wonderful tech community. And, um, and I said earlier when we were just getting started, that I was in SAS North in Ottawa this week. And I tell you, the, the tech community, not only in BC, but across Canada is alive and well. And, and the whole ecosystem that supports it is, um, is, is really setting the industry up well, not only for success today, but I think for long-term trajectory trajectory of this industry, industry, which is great. Awesome. So to finish this off, uh, I asked the same four questions to each person we interview. Do you have a favorite book uh, or maybe a podcast that you, that you kind of regularly listen to? Um, so favorite book, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, David and Goliath. It's, it's a wonderful read um, and, and, and talks about, you know, some of the characteristics of a, of a bunch of leaders. Um, really enjoyed that. Podcasts, um, you know, I'm, I, I, I listen to all sorts of them, all sorts of them. Um, I'm a big fan of Sam Harris. Best personal advice that you've received? I guess maybe two for, as it relates to business, um, time kills all deals and, and eat when served. Awesome. Uh, app or piece of software that you can't live without? Snapchat. I, I have uh, teenage and young adults all around the world, and, and uh, there's no better way to communicate with folks, uh, family, and friends with a quick picture and a note um, to say hi. It's a, you know, I travel a lot, and there's always an interesting picture, and, it's a, it's, and my kids do the same, so it's a great way we, we, we stay connected. That's awesome. You're not alone in that response with, for almost the exact same reason. So that's cool to hear. Uh, and then the last one here, favorite restaurant in British Columbia. Um, I really like Annalena. This is a fantastic, innovative restaurant. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.